Uh, and so we get very anxious over and stressed out. And then that's when they say, so don't, so don't worry about it. Just do what you got to do and be off by 8 o'clock. <laughs> okay. So you mean you're putting in about 12 hours a day every day. And it's a lot of fun. But anyway, uh, I am very excited to be here. Uh, I'm very thankful and humble for the phone call to come in and preach uh, up, up here at White Oak. I have heard about White Oak for uh, for quite a number of years. Obviously, Larry Acuff highly recommended uh, this congregation to me, and he still does this very day. He is a wonderful individual. I love Larry. Uh, he's always been a wonderful encourager of mine, uh, and so is Janet. And I know that they that Larry grew up here, and so he has a very special bond with this congregation. Uh, and uh, I'm uh, happy for that. And also, y'all had another uh, individual named Jim Dearman. Uh, he also was here for a while. Uh, he also has a, a, a bond with my family. My grandpa gave him his first job as a preacher. He got out of Memphis back in, uh, uh, whenever that was, a while ago. Uh, he was an elder there. But anyway, so we, we have quite uh, several connections here with Wild Oak. Uh, and uh, it's just a really a good uh, congregation. You have a good congregation here. You have a good work going on. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, anytime you have a setback, it's always time of reflection before you go out and you spring out again, kind of like a rubber band, you know. Uh, you got to have a little bit of some stretch to understand how far you can really go sometimes. And so I think right now you're in the stretch. Uh, you're beginning to see how far we can go before you... Uh, uh, go back out again. And so it's just a time of, of reflection. It's not a time of, of utter, uh, you know, utter destruction, but uh, it's a time of just reflection and figuring out how we can uh, move on forward. And that's a wonderful thing to do as a Christian. And, you know, we're all about going forward and upward. Philippians all about that altogether. And so I think this congregation has a bright future ahead has a very bright future in, inside of this community, ahead of itself. And uh, I think uh, you know, God is going to do wonderful things with this congregation. And He already has, and He continues will, uh, to do wonderful things with, with the Wild Church of Christ. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to say one thing as well before I get to my lesson this morning. Uh, I've been married to my wife for about nine years. Uh, we had our anniversary last month. And we have two kids with us right now. Uh, Cubby, he is three. You'll see him around. Uh, and then we have Christian, who's a little baby. And so i uh, just uh, throw that out there as well. We have two kids with us. And uh, normally our kids may fluctuate and count. I've had up to ten before. I've been down to two. And so uh, right now we're at two and we're enjoying two. Uh, two's a nice number, nice easy number. But, uh, you know, you know, you know, I think when you think about what is life, James 4.14 gives us the answer. It is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. In Job 14, verse 1, the Bible says, Man that is born of a woman is few of days and is full of trouble or turmoil. Actually, the, the Hebrew word there is tremoring. You know, you and I can agree that you can that you can do one thing right now to make your life worse. You can do one thing right now to make your life horrible. My uncle has a friend uh, who um, he uh, he was a uh, an insurance adjuster, 
he decided one day after about 25 years of being in the insurance business, I'm going to go rob a bank. Uh, no one knows why he went and did this, but uh, came out later on, so I have interview process with the police. Uh, and then my uncle heard about later on that, why did you go rob a bank? You've been in insurance for 25 years. You have a very good, well-paying job. You have done wonderful things for your life, for your family. What in the world made you do that? He said, I was stressed. And I needed a change. We're going to talk about this morning, how do you and I combat one of the devil's favorite devices of stress? I think during the pandemic it has been said that that's when America endured since World War II and the Cold War, the greatest amount of stress on the nation uh, per cap. I know that right now there's, a, there's the highest number of mental disorders going on in the country because of the pandemic. Uh, there's all kinds of new things coming out to try to relieve stress. And when you look at the scriptures, though, the Bible tells us what can be done, what you can do right to make your life better. It comes to stress. How can you go against one of the devil's favorite tools of stress. You know, stress will do a lot of things to you. Stress keep you up at night. Stress will make you maybe even lose your job. Stress will make you go into sin and stay in sin. Stress will make you uh, maybe go into areas of, of addiction. Stress will make it every in every effort, it would seem, make it just to where life is simply unbearable. Uh, I'm just so stressed out by everything, frustrated, overwhelmed. Stress, and you and I have all experienced some amount of stress through maybe grief or a trial or something has gone bad. And we're we're talking about how you and I individually now can handle the bad days. How can you handle the bad years? What can you do right now to make your life better than how it comes to handling this common thing that happens to all of us at some point in time in life? Stress is very real, we know that. And perhaps one of the greatest portraits outside of Jesus and Job with dealing with stress is that of the Apostle Paul. Now, when you think about how you would react to being inside of a dungeon, you may react, and you may have reacted in this way inside of your own soul, that you have worried so much that you've lost sleep. You have become so isolated that you have forgotten who you were. You have gone through so much just trial and trauma that you have totally and utterly been overcome with sin. Now we think of then about Paul and his reaction to being in a dark and damp dungeon. You can just see it in your mind's eye where this guy is. He is perhaps in his 60s. He's been preaching, according to your timeline, if you look at maybe about 30, 35 years or so. He is in a Roman prison, facing execution by beheading. 
the individual is sitting in a prison on a death sentence. And you can just see the prison. You know, maybe it's an underground prison where you have a torch light here or there just for a little bit of light. You hear the water, you know, dripping in the distance. You see how dark it is. Maybe there are others around that are just so, uh, you know, incapacitated because of malnourishment and they just can't function anymore. You see that Paul here is just in a place where he knows, he knows I will never again see the light of day as a free man. That is stressful. That is hard for us to comprehend. He is a prisoner of war, it would seem, in the area of the gospel. It has been said by Nero that in all of history, there is not a more startling illustration of the irony of human life than the scene of Paul at the seat of Nero. On the judgment seat, clad in imperial purple, a man who in a bad world claimed the title as the preeminent one and was being in, found as the meanest being in that world, Nero was stained with every crime, including the murder of his own mother, his wives, his own benefactors out of complete paranoia. He was stained in every nameable and unnameable vice. Body and soul of his were nothing more than mud and blood put together as a compound. Nero was a wicked, wicked individual. It has been said that time would come, however, when man would call his dog Nero and his son Paul. And we begin to see the contrast here as you look at our text of 2 Timothy 4, verse 9 and following. And we're going to see what Paul has to say in this dungeon talk as he's facing the meanest man that would seem in the world at the time. In 2 Timothy 4, 9 and following, we see the divine prescription how he was reacting to a stressful life, how he was behaving within himself and among others in handling this time that would seem to be frustration. Incidentally, Second Timothy, according to your timeline, uh, if you think of a timeline, may be written around the same time as Philippians, that epistle of joy, Ephesians, and Colossians, and Philemon. Uh, all of those epistles, including this one, are all ones of encouragement, all ones of teaching, admonishing one another. They're all ones of trying to still help somebody else when this man is bound by chains, perhaps, in a prison. Philippians says, but I am not bound. That's right. And so when you think then at our text, 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 and following, we're going to see what Paul would have to do to handle his time of stress. Now, this is a 
this uh, general uh, what Paul was doing. Now you may go to it and you may strive to maybe emphasize more than what he's doing here, and that's okay. But we're going to look at what Paul's doing. Now notice verse number 9, 2 Timothy 4, says, Be diligent, Timothy, to come to me quickly. Now, if you look at chapter 1, Timothy right now is in Ephesus. Paul is in Rome. If you look on the maps in the back of your Bible, that's about a five-month trip by ocean. About an eight-month to a year trip by land. When Paul's saying right here, come to me quickly, that's not an easy task to do. He's still having to wait for a while. But you see what's going on. You see who Timothy is in the life of Paul. Paul and Timothy were always constant travel companions. They were also a kind of a mentor, mentee. They were a father and son in the faith. But they also were friends. And so right here we notice from this verse that in times of isolation, there is a necessity to have that close friend that has your interest. Proverbs 18.24, there is that friend that clings, cleaves, and sticketh closer than a brother. Timothy was that friend of Paul. He was the one that was going, and Paul was guaranteeing he's going to come over. I can count on this man showing up. It's a true benefit of having that true friend around when times are tough. But why would he want Timothy to come? Verse 10 gives us the reason. For another man, for Demas, has forsaken, has deserted the line of duty. This man has gone AWOL. He has forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world. And as departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Dalmatia, and Titus for Titus for Dalmatia, and Crescens for Galatia. Now, when you look at what's going on here, you have Demas. Three times you see that man mentioned in your Bible. The first time is found in Philemon 24. You just call a fellow worker, fellow laborer. Colossians 4 calls him just Demas at the end of a long list of other very prominent Christians. And now he is mentioned by name only as one that has deserted the Apostle Paul at the time of his greatest need. Now notice this. There's a big contrast here between Demas and Paul and Peter and Jesus. It would seem then that Peter... When he came to Jesus, in Matthew's account, it would say that Peter went before the crowd at the time of Christ being arrested. He said, you know, I will never deny you. I'll never leave you. And then we know that uh, Christ prophesied about Peter and saying, you know, uh, before that rooster crows twice, you would deny me thrice. And he did. 
And Peter, though, was still there outside of the, the temple. And he was still there, and he was being questioned about, Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, are, you, are you not a, a, a Galilean? Are you not that one who has that speech? And, you know, and he's trying to constantly deny him and deny him and deny him. And then we know that finally he's down thrice, that rooster crowed, and Christ, according to Mark's account, looked right at him. And he saw through the, the soul of Peter. Peter, though, was still there, uh, in spite of the others leaving. This man, Demas, though, is not. This man, we, from Scripture, may ascertain that he may not have uh, been like Peter and wanting to stay with Paul through the end, but he was, at least for a little while. But this man loved his life more than the stress of being around Paul at his beheading. And so the life lesson here is that during times of stress, there are going to be those who are going to leave unannounced, and they're going to physically perhaps leave you alone because they cannot stay with you when you're going through your bad times. And so sometimes that will make us disappointed. It'll make us bitter about people and life because someone left me that I trusted. Now this man, Demas, was one that was going through spiritual erosion, the subtle drifting, Hebrews 2 verse 1. He's going through that drifting that happens so slightly that you just can't see it, but it's still going on, it would seem. And sometimes that person is around us when we're struggling. And they leave. And so right now we have to realize that Paul can do one of two things. Which we'll see what he, what he chooses to do in a minute. Either he can become bitter, angry at the world, angry at that person. He can, be, he can, he can become very, very frustrated with life. Or he can react in a positive way. Way He can do something to make his life better, even when somebody else has left him. Demas, though, has forsaken him. He's deserted him in the face of duty, having loved this present world. Matthew 16 has a verse, What can a man give in exchange for a soul? If he gains the whole world, this is his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange for a soul? You know, this man, Paul, is wanting. He's saying, I am not afraid to die for Christ. Demas is one that's saying, I still value the world more. So I still value my life more. Now the question is then, is which one would you be? Would you be Paul in the stocks? Or would you be Demas? Now, when you look at the next verse... In verse number 11, it says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now, we know from Acts 16 that there was a very harsh division that occurred between Paul and Mark's cousin Barnabas, who was a prominent 
preacher in the church. And uh, Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. And you can see the point of view of Barnabas over the contention. You can see that Barnabas was one that was, as would seem, a natural encourager. Acts 4.36, he's called the son of encouragement. The man is the epitome of an uplifter, of an edifier. And so you can see why he would stand by his family and be the encourager. You can see how, kind of, in, again, in your mind's eye, him putting his arm around Timothy and saying, around Mark, rather, and saying that there's a better day ahead. It's a brighter day ahead. There's, there's more to life than this. But then you see Paul's point of view with Mark. And maybe Mark, maybe uh, Paul thought of Mark in this way, in Proverbs 25, verse number 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of a joint. When you think about this case in verse number 11, we begin to look at other verses like Galatians 6, verse 1, in which Paul would write, Brethren, if any of you is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual should restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest thyself also be tempted. Now when you look at what's going on here, Paul is wanting to reach out to this man in forgiveness. Now, when times are hard and you're having a bad day, you may not want to be a forgiving person. We may not want to be that person that wants to pardon their actions. But, you have Ephesians 4, 26, which says... That you, if you forgive others, your Father in heaven will forgive you also. You hear the words of Jesus on the cross when he's saying constantly, Father, forgive them. Why? For they do not know what they do. At times of stress, we need to have the attitude, and we need to actually be practicing the art of forgiveness. This will allow us to reach out to those who have been hurt and have hurt us and to forgive. And this will allow us to go against that of pride. Now, keep in mind, though, when you're doing that, you're doing that with the mentality of, because I want to do right by God. Not because I want to do right by me. We should forgive because that's what God will have us to do. We should forgive because that's what God demands of us to do. We should not forgive because of our own selfish ambitions to do so. I want to forgive that way in the future I can have something else better after that. No, you're doing it because God wants us to do it. 
Paul here is just following in line with what God had him to do to be, for, to be a forgiving person. He may be forgiven also. And so during times of stress, we cling to God and we go toward forgiveness of others. In verse number 12 and 13, and we look at what's happening here. And this goes into his response. His, his response to stress, I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to reach out to those that have hurt me. I'm not going to be disappointed by somebody else. I'm not going to become bitter. But what am I going to do? 12 and 13 says, I'm going to redeem the time. He says, only Tychicus is with me. Uh, I have sent to Ephesus. Bring a cloak I have left with Carpus at Troas when you come. And the books, but especially the parchments. Now, sometimes it seems, and you know this, that when someone is going through a very hard time, it's easy to go into addiction, to go into having an affair, to go into maybe gambling, to go into other areas of worry. It's easy to fall into those traps. Very easy. The devil's made it very easy for us to go into them, even with our eyes open, and, and go right into them. But Paul is saying, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Second Peter 3.18 I'm going to continue on to be a learner. He's not going to allow himself to allow his circumstances to make him what they think he should be. He is going to go and he's going to say, I still want to grow and to learn and to be better and to continue on to be educated and to continue to grow as best as I am able. Bring parchments with you. I'm going to do some writing. I'm going to do some reading. I'm still not going to let this prison about me bind my mind, my soul. I'm still going to be a faithful child of God. And so he is showing us that your very Bible is inexhaustible. At times of stress, go to the Word of God. The Word of God is, as we are noticing in this, really does have the answers to life's questions. It really does give us the, the way of life. It really does allow us to see what we can do right now to make our life better. When you look at verses 14 through 16, again dealing with handling the bad days ahead, even if we're in them right now, how do we handle that? Look at this verse. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. And at my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Notice this. May it not be charged against them. Now, this section is talking to us about there are those, and we know those, who are going to do us harm 
at our weakest time. There are going to be those that's going to do us harm because that's what they can do. They are toxic people. They are ones that just, it would seem, would spew out all of the bad and never take any of the good. We have to watch out for those people who will be the discouragers and be the ones to put us under their thumb and be the ones that's going to make us less because we're having trouble. We should watch out for those people. Even if they call called our friends, sometimes that friend may not be your true friend. Paul here is saying, watch out for those who will do me much harm. Watch out for those in your life who are going to do you harm. And so, sometimes, when we do this, it ought to guard us against being disillusioned with life. It, it helps us to have a step back and see what's really going on. And then, when you look at verses 17 and 18 of our text, Finally, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep the Lord in focus. Always keep him in focus during hardship. Now, we do that by continuing to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, according to Matthew 22:37. We also have to continue to worship him in, in a sincere way heart. Sometimes, I'm sure you've done this, you come to worship because that's what you do. But you're not worshiping in sincerity because life is happening around you. And so your worship is actually hindered by what's happening in your life outside of these walls. We have to be mindful even of our own worship that we still are doing our absolute best to worship God in sincerity. John 4, 24. They that worship Him must do it how? In spirit and in truth. And so we have to be very mindful about how we continue in worship in sincerity in spite of life hitting us hard. We have to do our best to keep God as priority, keep the Bible where it should be in our life, keep our friends, our true friends, listen to that, brother, watch out for pride, watch out for sin. Keep all these things in light of Scripture. And so we begin then to see that we also must maintain good works. Titus 3, verse number 8. It takes a great willingness to trust in God 
when times are not in our favor. It takes a great willingness and eagerness to cling to the very hand of God as we sing farther along, tempted and tried, you know, we still cling to the everlasting arm of God. Have you been struggling in your life with the bad day? Have you been struggling with frustrations? How are you reacting right now? Go to the Scripture. Look at what Paul's doing and see what you can do right now to make your life better. One thing we can do is we can, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, look to Jesus. The very idea of looking means to literally affix one's gaze toward. If you are drifting, Christ is your landmark. You can see where He is and where you are or where you are not. Hopefully we are going toward Jesus and not going against Him or going away from Him. This morning, where are you in your life? Are you going toward Jesus or not? This morning, are you a Christian? What a stressful life to live of not being a Christian. If you were to die today, your life is in turmoil because you're not saved because you haven't been baptized, have your sins forgiven. Acts 2.38. This morning, the Bible says you got to do that. you got to be a Christian. you got to cling to the very everlasting hand of God and stay true to Him to the very end of life. Revelation 2, verse 10. This morning, where are you? Life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. This, this morning... Hopefully your life is right with God. If it is, that's wonderful. If it's not, now it's time to come forward as you stand and sing a song of invitation.